0: We're on a bit of a of a different and abbreviated morning this morning and so I want to jump just right into our scripture. In Matthew 28, after Jesus' resurrection, he gave his followers a mission, a mission that was to consume the life of every single one of his believers, a mission that, that Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, thought was so central to our faith that he put it as the very last event, the very last words about his, in his story about Jesus and his life in his gospel, It's known as the Great Commission. So this morning, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28 if you have your Bible with you. If you don't, it'll be on the screen or their Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. Matthew 28, and we're gonna start this morning in this this all-important, this absolutely central passage in verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16 tells us, "'Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, "'to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go.'" So, 11 disciples. After Judas betrayed Jesus, he took his life, and that left 11 disciples. But that night of the Last Supper in Matthew 26, Jesus had actually predicted his death and his resurrection for his followers. And he had told his disciples, guys, when I die and I'm resurrected back again, meet me after my resurrection In Galilee that place where I taught you how to do this 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 faith and ministry thing meet me back in Galilee and so that's where the disciples are headed verse 17 when they saw him they worshiped but some doubted the words of the text tell us that the disciples they threw themselves on the ground face down and began to worship Jesus worship him because he was God and now the doubt that Matthew's talking about isn't an a absence of belief, but these guys hesitated, a few of them. They were overwhelmed with what they saw. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In Daniel 7, the Old Testament prophet Daniel received a vision about the future received this vision from God about the future and this key figure that was known as the Son of Man. And the Son of Man in Daniel's vision was the one who would come to judge the world and would rule forever. And Jesus' words here are an echo of what God told Daniel about that son of man who would rule forever. Back in Daniel 7.14, the son of man was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Sounds very similar to this verse, doesn't it? So Jesus is actually saying, I'm that guy. I'm that son of man. I'm the one who will rule forever. That's the type of authority that I have. And Jesus' divine authority has been proved over and over again to his disciples. He's shown that he has power that only God has over life and death and demons and through his resurrection and through his miracles And Jesus starts with asserting his authority because his universal authority is what makes our universal mission possible. But often we can be timid to carry out that mission, can't we? We can be intimidated in carrying out that mission. One of the things that I have heard so often, unfortunately, by by believers is this, this thought of, who am I to tell others what to believe? Have you heard that? Right? Who am I to tell others what to believe? Well, yeah, I'm no one. I don't have that authority, but I'll tell you who does. It's Christ. It's God. He has that authority. And when we share his message, it's through his authority, not our own. So the question isn't who am I to tell others what to believe, but who is Jesus to tell others what to believe? And the answer is he's God. He's the only one with that authority. So we should not be timid to influence the beliefs of others because it's Christ's message, the one with ultimate authority, the one who imparted that authority to his disciples and to us here in this great commission. It's his message. And now Jesus gets into the content of this mission, and the mission that he's going to give his disciples it has four parts. And we're going to look at these four parts in just a few verses. It's called the Great Commission. And the first part is a very simple statement. Verse 19, therefore go. Therefore go. Go. How does Jesus start this statement of mission for the life of every believer? Go. When God gives someone a mission in scripture over and over and over again as you track through the Bible you see that that mission begins with this word go. When God gave Abram his mission God said this in Genesis 12:1, go from your country, go. When God gave Moses his mission at the burning bush, God said this in Exodus 3:10, now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Go. When God gave Joshua his mission, he said to Joshua in Joshua 1.11, three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go and take possession of the land. And then in Joshua, when the people hear this mission, they respond back to God in Joshua 1.16, saying, wherever you send us, we will go. And now the resurrected Jesus is giving his disciples for all time their mission, and it begins with go. Over and over again in Scripture, when God gives someone a mission, when God gives a a people a mission, he begins with this word, go. Go. Go is a word that demands action, that demands movement, that demands transformation, If we believe that our mission in life begins with stay and be comfortable, then it's not from the God of Abram. It's not from the one who told Joshua. It's not from the one who told Moses to go. Go is the realization that we're to occupy our neighborhood, our city, our world with the news of the gospel. Go. Go but often we can find ourselves stalled and stopped in our faith, can't we? A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in my truck at an intersection and the car next to me was this little silver car. The gal driving it had her her head down in her phone. She was just kind of in her own little world. I don't know, if she was trying to catch some Pokemon or something, but she had her head down in her phone and the, the light turned green, I went and then I started hearing all this honking behind me. It didn't seem very happy and so I turned around to see that that little silver car was still stopped right at the beginning of the intersection, even though there was a green light. And the people behind her were not happy about this because even a kindergartner knows that green means go. And if you're at a green light and you're stopped, doesn't that mean that there's something really wrong? Same thing in our faith. God has given us a green light. To go, to go and tell others the message of Christ, to make disciples. And if we call ourselves Christians but make no attempt to go, it means that there's something wrong in our faith. We're a stalled car at a green light. Because Christ has sent us out with this gospel, we have that green light. We have this ongoing mission that begins with go, go. That's the first part of this mission statement. Jesus has given all of his followers. And here's the second. It also comes in verse 19. Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. In Jesus' day, a disciple meant something very specific. A disciple was someone who was a follower of a rabbi, a respected teacher of the Jewish faith. A disciple sacrificed years of their life to walk from town to town with their rabbi. They ate, they traveled, they did life together, they stayed together. The disciple listened to their rabbi's answers to people's questions all across the country about life and faith in God. They memorized the words of the rabbi so that they could one day teach other people the same. They'd serve their rabbi hand and feet. They'd wash their feet. They'd emulate every rhythm and ritual of their life. And here's the point of being a disciple. The whole point was to prepare you for one day to become a rabbi yourself, to go and teach others, to go and proclaim the same faith your rabbi proclaimed to you. And now, Jesus is telling his disciples, go and make followers like that. You see, by definition, in their day, a disciple was someone who made disciples. There wasn't a different type of disciple. A disciple made disciples. So listen to this. Listen. Possession of faith leads to proclamation of faith. If we possess a faith in Jesus, then we will proclaim Jesus. The two cannot be separated because disciples make disciples. And this sort of disciple faith has an absolutely incredible power. Think about the power of discipleship in this way. Let's say I'm a traveling preacher. And every every year for 20 years... I give a, a travel around the country and give sermons a couple times a week, and I see 300 people make a decision for Jesus every year. At the end of those 20 years, 6,000 people would have made a decision to follow Jesus who had not been a believer of Christ before. That sounds like a big number, right? 6,000. But the approach of discipleship is so much more powerful What if this year I took, instead of traveling around the nation, talking, we just took one person. I just took one person, found one person who did not know Jesus, and poured my life into them this year. And I lived a life that was worth emulating, and I taught them Jesus' commandments and grew them up in the faith. And at the end of that one year, with that one disciple, we both went and found another person who did not know Jesus. And we went and made a disciple of that person for a whole other year. And every year after that, everyone who was discipled took one person, just one person a year to make a disciple of. At the end of those 20 years, there would be over 1 million new followers of Jesus. That's the power of discipleship. That's the power of disciples making disciples. So we must live a life that's worth emulating. And then we must go and make disciples. But here Jesus also gives us the scope of his mission. He says, make disciples of all nations. The scope of this gospel mission is supposed to be all people on earth. And there are still thousands of people groups who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ today. And so through prayer, through giving a portion of the resources that God has given us, and sometimes through going ourselves, we are meant to play a role in taking this gospel mission out to all the world. So this second part of Jesus' mission for the life of all of his followers is to make disciples, to make disciples of all the nations, and then we see the third part also in verse 19 where Jesus says baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Judaism, there was a ritual known as mikvah. And in mikvah, this Jewish ritual, you would take someone who was ritualistically unclean or impure, signaling that there was a broken relationship with God, and they would enter water and ritually be cleansed before Christ God, and come out being seen as pure, clean again. In baptism, Jesus took this act, this ritual in Judaism that his followers were already familiar with, and he changed it. Baptism became the symbol of our faith in Jesus' work on the cross to make us clean, to fix our relationship with God. Baptism is the entry into the new covenant community in Christ that we call the church. Baptism is the outward expression that I belong to Jesus. I am dead to my old self, and I'm alive in him. Baptism is a line that we draw in the timeline of our life for all people to see that says, this was my old life, and now this is my new. And while baptism does not save us, Jesus intended and commanded baptism to be a part of the salvation experience for every believer as we make disciples there to be baptized. And there to be baptized into what? Into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because followers of Jesus do not believe in a vague God. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The God who is three in one. And it is that God that Jesus' followers are baptized into. So the third part of Jesus' statement of mission is to baptize these new disciples into the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. And then the fourth part of this mission, we read this as we get into verse 20. And teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. We are to teach these disciples we make, not just a portion, but all of Jesus' teaching. A disciple is not a casual convert, but a passionate, obedient follower. Obedience isn't such a popular word today, is it? It really isn't. And it's because it's often associated with a lack of freedom. But biblical obedience isn't the lack of freedom. It is the presence of trust. Biblical obedience is not a lack of freedom. It's the presence of trust. A trust that it is better to live life the way God created us and instructed us in Scripture than it is to live out of my own desires and my own reasoning. A trust that I do indeed need transformation. A trust that Jesus lived a perfect life that is worth me emulating with mine. A trust that I should strive to obey everything he taught instead of treating his teachings like a buffet. And that's the fourth part of Jesus' mission for us, to teach new disciples to obey everything that he commanded. That is a hard mission, isn't it? That is a mission that will consume your life. That's a mission that's going to make you uncomfortable. But it's not the last words that Jesus says here. He says this one last thing here in this great commission. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Making disciples is a costly call. Telling cheap people about Jesus is hard. I mean, let's admit it. We usually avoid it. It usually makes us uncomfortable. But this is the comfort in the costly call, that Jesus will be with us, that we're not in this alone, that the Holy Spirit who lives in us, the presence of God himself, is with us always. So Matthew began his gospel with this story of Christmas, the story of Emmanuel, the story of God with us. And now the very final words are again an assertion of Emmanuel, God with us always. As we go, God will always be with us. question is, will we go? When Jesus called his first disciples, the very first thing that He told them in Matthew 4:10 was, "Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people." But how about you? Will you be sent out to make disciples? Will you go across the fence to your neighbor? When the resurrected Jesus came to his scared and huddled disciples after, after his resurrection in John 20, 21, he told them, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I am sending you. So how about you? Will you be sent by Jesus? Will you go across that wall to your coworker? And just before Jesus leaves his disciples to ascend into heaven, he told them this in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But how about you? Will you be a witness? Will you go across the table to your own family? Because Jesus' words at the end of Matthew's gospel, they're not a suggestion. They're not a suggestion for his followers. They're a mission. Jesus' words here are a mission that is intended to consume every year, every hour of our lives. A mission that begins with the simple word, go. As Jesus said, I pray that I would not take this as a suggestion. I pray that every one of us in this room who believes in you would take this as the mission of their lives to go and make disciples. I pray that we wouldn't be comfortable with complacency, that you would jolt us out of being stalled and stopped at a green light in our faith, and that each one of us would go, even this week, That, Lord Jesus, as we we, we pray right now, you in this room, within us, on this January 1st, this new year, that we would make a New Year's resolution to make disciples, to make disciples of the church, to make disciples of all those we know who do not know you. In your name we pray. Amen.